0: From Red Bull to Monster, there's all sorts of energy drinks out there. But there was a time not long ago where people were drinking radioactive materials. And then we take a look at two stories of human teleportation. Is it possible for someone to start off in one location and end up in another location? Yes, that's possible. But is it possible to do in the blink of an eye? Today, on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. It's actually been a really, really weird day. Not paranormal weird, just just odd. I felt a little off. This episode's coming out late, and I want to do a few quick notes. One, I did get a bunch of fan art when the discord server was up i'm gonna start posting that up as well i got a couple other things i need to post up two for the people who watch the show on youtube yes the clips will be coming back soon it's just i'm getting everything started with this new season i've been posting the whole it's always a tricky thing a lot of people like the whole episodes up but i get less new viewers so we're, we're trying to figure that out I, i'll figure out something out but let's go ahead and get started with our first story here now for our first story this was a weird one. Now. The first part of it I was fairly familiar with, but then I found out this new detail. And both sides are completely tragic. But one thing is human greed, and the other thing is just people <laughs> generally acting stupidly. But I guess at the time, I'm sure he thought it was a grand idea. So we're going back to the Roaring Twenties. Wow! Actually, no, what would a roar? Rawr would be more of a roar. That's why they called it the Roaring Twenties cryptids were everywhere but also you know I'm sure they had other reasons for calling it the roaring Tw- why did they call it the roaring 20s I probably should have looked that up. but anyways it has nothing to do with the rest of this episode the first part of the story is there was this issue where glow in the dark stuff was all the rage whenever a new technology comes out everyone is like hey I want that and nowadays we're kind of smart enough to go hey we've developed this new they have this new chemical that's hydrophobic That you can put it on the bottom of a boat and it basically water doesn't attach to the boat. So they can spray it on the bottom of a boat and it makes the boats go super fast through the water. And people have thought, you know what, I I bet you we could put that in cans of food and the food would just come out. They say a good like 10% of all canned food actually stays in the can. It can't come out. Which is quite frustrating when you're trying to eat some Denison's Chili Beans. And you can spray this stuff on your clothes and you would never get wet. You could throw spaghetti on it, and it would just fall right off. Like, any sort well, of... No, spaghetti's not a liquid, but the sauce is. So, it's basically closed that no sweat would attach to, so you won't have to worry about bacteria. Hydrophobic materials are a godsend. And I was reading these articles about hydrophobic materials and paint, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. This could revolutionize the way I eat chili beans. But, they don't know if it's edible. They don't know what the long-term effects of it. They... They were talking about it, and they're like, yes, we could spray it on a boat, but we don't know what the the long-term effect of it in seawater will do. We can test it in water, but we don't know what's going to happen over months or years and stuff like that. We have to examine all of that stuff. Jason, Jason, stop eating that can of chili. We have to figure out whether or not it's good in the long term. But there was a time they didn't really have that idea, and that time is the 1920s, where... Radium had been discovered, and Madame Curie and her husband are kind of messing around with it and stuff, and they're like, This seems quite dangerous, but this is this new element that we have found. Mineral, gas. You're like, Jason, you really don't know anything about this. But hold on, hold on. So it what the main thing was is it caused things to glow in the dark because it's radioactive, right? And it became this huge thing to have glow-in-the-dark items. But it's the 1920s. So Everything is, like, handmade, basically. You had assembly lines, but you didn't have robots doing stuff. You had people doing stuff. And the idea of having a glow-in-the-dark watch today is quite simple. Little kids have glow-in-the-dark watches. I don't think I've ever seen an adult be like, Hey, what time is it? Let me go in the closet real quick. Like, that's something a little kid has. But, back then, it was this brand new thing to have glow-in-the-dark technologies. It was the 1920s. They've only had lights for maybe 30 years at this point. Well, they had candles, but you know what I mean? So... This company started making these watches, these glow-in-the-dark watches. Huge hits. Everyone's like, oh, this is amazing. Now, to be able to put the, the... to, It's one of those things you don't really think about until I read this article. To make the watch glow-in-the-dark, you can't just like throw a bunch of radioactive paint on it. Because then you can't see anything. So you, they hired a bunch of women to paint the numbers on with a paintbrush. So they're holding the paintbrush with their hands. They're not wearing, like, lead gloves. They're not in these huge suits or anything like that. And they're painting the numbers on these watches. And they dip the paintbrush into the radioactive paint and draw... I should say at this point, they really didn't think radioactivity was a bad thing. So they're dipping it in, and they're painting it. And they dip it in and paint it. And in between, I think it was like every two strokes, every two little paint strokes... The women were instructed, they had to get a really, really fine point on the paintbrush. So they had to put it in their mouth, go lick it, and then draw the number two, draw the number three, draw the number four, draw the number five. So they were painting 200 watches a day. And side effect, a quick side effect, that they actually, it's, it was stated several times in these articles that they would then glow in the dark. The women started glowing in the dark, which they actually thought was really cool. It was this cool side effect of working in this plant where you're ingesting radioactive paint. Because, again, nobody knew it was a problem. Now, there's a little asterisk at this point. Because as they're making the watches, Madame Curie's research is starting to say, this stuff you probably shouldn't eat. We don't know what it is. I mean, we're trying to figure it out. We don't know if it's a mineral or a gas or a compound like Jason. It's something. Don't touch it. And the people who ran the watch companies, and this happened at one watch company in particular, but other, I believe other companies are doing it as well. People at the watch company were like, yeah, yeah, don't let the women know because we're making a ton of money off of these watches. They weren't telling the women how dangerous it was. The women would go out to nightclubs and they glow in the dark at a nightclub. Basically like a spooky skeleton. I don't know if their whole skin glowed, but I like to imagine just their bones were glowing through their skin as they're dancing. Anyways, there are also women are also encouraged to use it as makeup. You can put a little radioactive paint on your face and when you went out your face would glow. You'd get that unearthly glow. Now, obviously, it was very, very, like, it wasn't short-lived. Well, they were short-lived. That was the problem. Like, it, it was a fad that lasted for a couple years. But these women and this company started to melt. They started to melt. It's hor- This is where the story gets quite horrible. So, their teeth started to fall out. Which, uh, imagine having a job or just waking up tomorrow and your front teeth fall out. You, you would be horrified you would be, your first thing would be is what is happening to me? Second thing is, I wonder if the tooth fairy still gives money for teeth, even though I'm an adult. But they were starting to melt. Their faces were starting to fall off. They were start, their like chin was getting distended. This one woman, she just had this massive tumor underneath her chin. All their teeth are falling out. Their hair's falling out. They went to the doctor to figure out what was going on. And the company was trying to run a smoke screen. And they said, oh, yeah, all these women have STDs. All of their horrible diseases are due to STDs. And the women are like, what? No, we don't. And they're like, you do go to the club an awful lot. And they're like, well, yes, I do. But I don't have an STD. At one point, the company actually hired a doctor and came out and talked to one of the assembly line supervisors and gave him a clean bill of health. He did a whole investigation on this guy. What's it called? An examination on this guy. And said, that should be a clue. And said, He's totally fine, and the doctor leaves, and the press is like, oh, okay, so these girls probably are just, uh, you know, hussies. And then someone goes, wait a second, isn't that kind of weird that the doctor said let's do an investigation instead of the proper term, examination? And it turns out the doctor was another employee of that company who basically just walked in with a stethoscope and a lab coat and pretended to be a doctor. Huge scandal. The women actually started to try to sue the company because now at this point it's coming out that the radioactive material is killing them and the company knew about it. And the, company, the company's defense strategy was this. Let's keep pushing back the trial until all the women are dead. And that was almost successful, but the public outcry basically forced the government to say, no, 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 we got to hold the trial now. And the women got compensated. They got like, I think it was like $10,000 or something like that, which back then was more money. And then they got a stipend for the rest of their life, but they didn't really live more than three or four years after the trial anyways. And they obviously stopped making the watches. And it changed the way that people can sue their companies. There were some big laws that came out of that. So that is an issue where you go to work and your company is not looking out for you. So I have an uncle who fought in Vietnam. Like, fought in Vietnam. He was a helicopter gunner. And he said, I remember, he he ended up being part of that big lawsuit um, for Agent Orange. They uh, They were dumping it all over the Viet Cong, all over the jungles. It was basically like a huge... Def- defoilment De- defoilager i it's basically used to melt plants and he goes yeah i used to like we used to like lean up against barrels of it and like smoke cigarettes like it was you there'd be an open barrel of agent orange just sitting there it was this horrible chemical that was made to destroy jungles he breathed in a ton of it he's actually like mentally fine but he just had a lot of like nerve damage and stuff like that he's, he has some crazy stories about vietnam i think everyone in vietnam has some crazy stories but anyways Whereas, Oh, so yeah, when, you, when you're when you with the government or with the company, you assume that they're not going to poison you on purpose. I had heard the story of the Radium Girls, that's what they're called. I had heard the story about the Radium Girls before, but what I had found recently, and I thought about doing a story on them just because it was so weird, but what I found recently was this, and I'll cover this real quickly. There was this golfer, semi-pro golfer named Eben Byers. What is semi-pro? Like, does that mean you don't get paid a lot? Or does that mean you're about to become pro? Do you have to go like amateur, semi-pro, pro? pro? Or semi-pro just where like you play on the weekends, but you play for like serious money? Anyways, he was a semi-pro golfer named Eben Byers. Same time period, 1920s. In 1927, Eben was horsing around and he fell and he hurt his arm. Now, as a golfer, that's a serious thing. You need both of them to golf. I think you kinda need both arms to pull. Do you need no, you can play ping pong with one arm. I think there's some sports you only need one arm. Soccer. But anyway, so he only had wait well, he didn't only have one arm. That's not what happened. He injured his arm. And there was this tonic. There was like this heel all tonic, which was also like an energy drink. It gave you pep. It really got got the things going. There's actually in the American Journal of Clinical Medicine, they talked about this drink it's called Radathor which is a dope name Radathor this is the quote well, this it wasn't just about the drink the doctor wasn't like shilling for Radathor but his quote about radioactivity was radioactivity presents insanity rouses noble emotions retards old age and creates a splendid youthful joyous life so they thought radiation was the bomb <laughs> <laughs> that was not intended so anyways they thought radiation was great right and so there was this little drink called radathor and they're like even buyers like oh my arm hurts and the doctor goes well we have this new thing called radathor you can drink it and it'll give you pep and it will help your arm somehow and also radathor was believed to cure premature no not premature ejaculations what's the other thing people don't like um you can't get it up what's that called Impotence. Okay, so it was also thought to cure impotence. So he was drinking it, and he's like, oh, I feel great. My arm's totally fine. I'm not impotent. I wasn't impotent before, but I'm definitely not impotent now, and he's drinking it. He ended up developing a bit of a habit. Now, it's not addictive, but he really, really enjoyed the way it made him feel. He drank three bottles a day for two years of radioactive material. I feel great. This feels so good. But, after, you know, two years of that, his teeth start to fall out. He starts to melt. His chin, his lower chin, basically just disappears. An attorney went to go visit him. Not just, just a regular attorney traveling through town. It was a friend of his who was an attorney. Went to go visit Eben towards the end. And he had this quote. Young in years and mentally alert, he could hardly speak. His head was swathed, swathed in bandages. He had undergone two successful jaw operations, and his whole upper jaw, excepting two front teeth and most of his lower jaw, had been removed. So I had that backwards. How do you have a lower jaw and not an upper jaw? The picture made him look like he didn't have a lower jaw. But anyways, the attorney knows more. He saw him. I just saw a picture. All the remaining bone tissue of his body was slowly disintegrating, and holes were actually forming in his skull. When he died, they had to bury him in a lead-lined coffin. And the radi- his, his body is, is so radioactive it has a half-life of 1,600 years. And at one point they dug him up to do a test. They dug him up like in the 70s or 80s. And they tested his bones and they're like, yep, he's still super, super radioactive. The people who dug him up had to wear lead-lined suits. And they just put him back in the lead-lined coffin. But they wanted to see... And they actually think that he drank more than three bottles a day. Because they're like, for him to have this much radioactivity still in him... Yeah, drink a lot. So yeah, you know, it's funny because I tell people this. I have a lot of friends who drink energy drinks. I'm okay with them, but I have a lot of friends who drink them. And I say Red Bull is the only one that is approved by the FDA. All the other ones, Monster and whatever the rest of them, maybe the Starbucks ones are, but energy drinks in general are considered supplements. So they're not regulated by the FDA. Red Bull is the only one that's considered a food product. So the FDA monitors it. Any of the other ones, you really don't know what you're getting in there. They'll say, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. But they may end up giving you a lead-lined coffin in the end. Actually, that's, <laughs> that's not true. I don't, think anything, uh, I don't think any of them are radioactive. But you know what I mean? Like, Not all of them are healthy out there. So shop accordingly. Also, if you use the promo code DeadRabbitRadio at RedBull.com, you will get 10% off your next order. That's not true. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story here. Now, our next story... It's so funny because I came across it as a fluke. And I almost feel like that is how everyone has come across it. Going back 400 years. I'm always looking around for weird stuff, honestly. And sometimes weird stuff finds me. I found this article. It's called Mysterious Teleportation Case of Major Tudor Pole Remains Unexplained. So let's go ahead and hop in the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. That's her only aircraft available right now. And we are going to sussex which i believe is in england but we're going there anyways we're going to sussex we'll fly around england until we find it and we're back in the 60s now in the 1960s major pool wrote this book he was like this mystic and he believed in like king arthur and the holy grail and all this stuff which may or may not exist but he was this mystic guy he wrote books about mysticism and weird events so he's writing this book and he goes I, if you believe it or not, I, a guy who believes in everything paranormal, happen to have a paranormal event. What are the odds? And this is his story. One day on a dark, rainy night, I had to get home by 6 p.m. to get a very important phone call. But I was a mile and a half from home. There were no taxis, trains, or buses. And it was raining. And I didn't want to get wet. And... It was 5.55. So I began. I took one step on my journey home. And then, in a flash, I was standing in the hallway of my house. And then the phone rang. It was 6 p.m. And I was—I read that and I was like, hmm, okay. I mean, like, I guess that's interesting. But I have no proof of it. It happened to a guy who already believes in this type of stuff. It also reminded me of a time where when someone said, hey, man, I need to make a phone call at noon. You had to be at your house at noon. So weird. It wasn't that long ago, but like having to pull over, use pay phones, have a pager like, hey, you're getting a phone call at 3 p.m. You had to be home. So weird. That's the weirdest part of that story to me. Because I read that and I go, that's interesting. But when stuff like this happens to people who believe in it and there's no verification, there's no witnesses, nothing like that, it's just hard to say. But in that article at the very beginning, they said... You know, human teleportation is... I don't want to do that voice, though. The, the article said, you know, human teleportation is possible. We look at the story of Gil Perez. And then here's the story about Major Tudor Pole, And it had all that stuff. And then it went into how technology is advancing. So stuff can be teleported and so on and so forth. And I go, who's Gil Perez? I'd never heard that name before. Totally stumbled across that. Interesting story. Very, very interesting story. The year is 1593. The month is October. And the governor of the Philippines, we're in the Philippines, I guess I should say that, we're in the capital city of Manila. The governor of the Philippines decides to start making some moves, starts making some moves on areas. There are some locals in a nearby country who want his help. And he's like, okay, I'm going to do that. We'll bring them some supplies and some emeralds and stuff like that. But at the same time, I want to go take on these islands. I think they were the Spice Islands. I want to start making some moves. I want to start taking some territory. And I want to lead it myself. This is going to be a glorious battle. So the governor and all of his troops and everything move on to these boats and they start floating around. And they are beset by Chinese pirates. Which honestly would have to be kind of a badass way to die. Being attacked by pirates. Even if they were like the nowadays like kind of lame Somalian pirates. Just pirates. I think it's kind of cool. Better than like falling down the stairs, right? So anyways, the Chinese pirates end up attacking the governor's ship, looting it. governor gets killed. Huge problem. I mean, because the governor basically at that time was the leader of the Philippines. The Philippines was still controlled by Spain. So it wasn't just like the governor of California getting attacked by pirates, which again would be kind of cool. But it was the country's leader. So huge problem, obviously. <laughs> That's an understatement. Now, there was a guard in Manila named Gil Perez. And obviously, everyone was pretty tense. Because you just had their leader die. They're trying to figure out who the next leader is going to be. What the next move is going to be. Is this going to be a big naval thing? They're going to have to find the pirates. So on and so forth. And Gil Perez is doing double duty, guarding the Palace of Manila. And according to him, he starts to get a little tired. He's just standing there. He closes his eyes. He sways a little bit. He opens them and just people are milling about in the city and he goes mm, this isn't the city that i was just standing in around this time people like notice there is a dude in full like regal guard clothes standing in front of the viceroy's palace in mexico city now they have their own guards with totally different uniforms and you have this dude standing there in full uniforms. I don't know. They didn't say whether or not he had his weapon with him. But he definitely was not dressed like the locals. The guards see him just standing there. They come to talk to him. The townspeople, the citizens of Mexico City, are like, what is going on here? And he says, whoa, whoa, where am I? I mean, which is so funny because that would be your first question. But to everyone around you who knows exactly where you are, that's the stupidest question possible. It's knowing that to get there, you have to go there. So if you just show up and you go, where am I? People are going to be like, what are you talking about? You're in Mexico City, of course, where we all are. Where we were 10 minutes ago, an hour ago, whatever. So he goes, where am I? And they go, you're in Mexico City. Why are you dressed like that? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't know how to explain this, but I'm from the Philippines. And it's funny, the story, one of the interesting things about the story is, obviously, the people in the Philippines and people in Mexico we're both Spanish-speaking. But anyways, he goes, listen, I'm, I don't know how to say this, but I'm a palace guard from the Philippines. I was in Manila. And they're like, what? No, 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 no. That's impossible. It's months away by sea travel. Even our fastest boats, even our hydrophobic boats cannot get here in the blink of an eye. Like, you just appeared. And he's like, hey, listen, man. It's a crazy world. I don't know what's going on. But you won't believe this. Guess what? The governor of Manila... Got killed last night. And they're like, okay, now this is super weird. Because not only are you saying that you just magically appeared here from the Philippines, you're telling us that the leader of that country is dead. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Do you have any of that horcha? Can I have any? They're like, silence! You obviously must have come here by witchcraft. Because we believe you. You definitely don't look like you're from around here. You're not wearing clothes like you're from around here. We believe you are from the Philippines. And we don't know whether or not the governor is dead. We'll figure that out. But we believe you, and you must be a witch. Now, again, we're talking about the, we're talking about 1593 here. So who do they call? They get the Inquisitors. They're like, hello, pick up the phone. And they call up people. They're like torturing witches. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll be right out here. Let me burn this person. Pfft. And you can imagine that Gil Perez at this point would be like, uh, trying to change his story. Oh, I was on my way to a costume party, you know? I don't. I didn't come from the Philippines. But, because the Inquisitors are the type of people you don't want to run into. Bad guys in movies today are named Inquisitors. But the Inquisitors show up, and what's so bizarre is that Gil Perez, in the accounts, there's a lot of stuff written about this guy, and we're going to get into the interesting stuff behind the story. Gil Perez was considered an ideal soldier. He would do whatever. And and like he was doing double duty at the palace because they were having all of these problems. So Gil Perez, basically an inquisitor show up and he's told to go to jail. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure. I'm fine. And they're like, what? You're not going to resist or nothing? He's like, no, I'll go to jail. You tell me to go to jail, right? Yeah, I'll go to jail. So he goes to jail and the inquisitors start interviewing him basically, like, I don't know if they if torture's their first thing, but accounts at the time were saying this guy was commanded by the devil from the top to the bottom. Like, this has to be a supernatural event. Again, everyone believed he came from the Philippines. It's just a matter of how he got there. So the Inquisitors are taking the, the idea that he must be tra- teleported by witchcraft. And they're talking to him, and over the course of a few months, they're like, this fellow is such a devout christian and such a nice guy that he obvious he may have been teleported by the witches but it wasn't of his own accord and he's like well thank you grand inquisitors like they actually became friends this guy who got teleported nine thousand nautical miles away and people who burn witches for a living like were pals they're roommates they're all hanging out together afterwards so he basically, at a certain point, they're like, well, we're not going to keep him in jail because he obviously isn't a witch, but we don't know what to do with him. Around, a couple months later, a couple months after Gil Perez magically appeared in Mexico City, a boat from Manila docked in Acapulco. And the people in Mexico were like, okay, now we'll know what happened. Because again, no internet, no getting home by 6 p.m. to get a phone call. You just had to wait till a boat showed up. And when the people in the boat got off, they were immediately questioned, not by the Inquisitors, but just by investigators. And they go, is the governor of the Philippines dead? And they're like, how did you know that? Yeah, he died back in October. They named the date. They named the date October 23rd is when the governor died. 22nd, 23rd. It was like at night. And that was the time that Gil Perez had shown up. They said, yeah, yeah, he was killed by Chinese pirates. It was horrible. It was awful. He was trying to make moves. He got shut down. And then someone, they basically bring the, some people from the boat to Gil Perez. And they're like, do you know this guy? And they're like, not only, okay, this is so weird. Not only do I know who that is, but I saw him outside the palace the day after the president was killed. So at that point, Gil Perez was like, told you. I told you. And they're like, we believed you. We totally believed you. You don't need to rub it in our faces. We just needed verification. And Gail's like, peace! Also inquisitors suck! And he runs, he gets on the boat. No, they did eventually let him go. He went back to the Philippines. Unsolved case. Now, what's weird about it is there is an unusual piece of evidence to say that this story is 100% true. And then an interesting follow-up piece that may show how urban legends are created. In 1609, so that would have been, what, maybe 20 years of roughly 20 years after the event, the story of Gil Perez. A real author, this is a real dude, his name was Dr. Antonio de Morga. He wrote a book called Successes of the Philippine Islands. It's considered one of the most important early works, like historical works, on the Spanish control and colonization of the Philippines. So a a historical book is not putting in flim-flam stuff. And in that book, in 1609, there is a reference to the death of the governor of the Philippines. And just as, as a side note, it says, you know, it is weird. Even you, this is a paraphrase, obviously, but as, a, as an aside, when he's talking about the death of the governor of the Philippines, he says, it is odd that Mexico City knew of his death the day it happened. And it just goes on to the next sentence. It just goes on with the rest of the book. Now, again, they're separated by 9,000 nautical miles. They're in the 16th century. It would be impossible for Mexico City to know the death of a governor in the Philippines. It would be impossible. And he puts it in there as an aside. Now, maybe he lost a bet and they're like, Hey, Antonio, you got to put one faked fact in your book. He's like, damn it. Or that it really happened. I think it's interesting because it's so close to the actual story of it. And it's also close enough that if you saw that in a book, you could verify it with officials in Mexico City. If you saw that and you're like, what? That's not true. And you take a boat over to Mexico City and you go, hey, is it true you guys knew about the death of the governor the same day? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me tell you a story. But he puts it in this historical work that somehow Mexico City knew of. Names the city, too, not just Mexico or the Mexican governor or whatever. About 100 years later, there was another book. again. Not a fictional book, not a book about the paranormal. It was a historical text by a different author. And in that book is laid out the, the base work for the story of Gil Perez. So in his book, a historical work on the Philippine Islands, he goes, here's a weird event. This is kind of bizarre. But there was this dude named Gil Perez. He was a guard at the palace and fades off into nothing. Just read the article and you you imagine the story I just told. So. Again, historical works are talking. one just gives a brief mention of the fact that they knew about it. The second historical text, a hundred years later, fleshes out the story. The story that I told you is actually a conglomeration of multiple like websites. Some of the details are very, very clear and the same. I think that some of the details may have been fleshed out after that second book, those hundred years, but It's possible that the first statement was true, that somehow Mexico City knew about the death of the governor the same day. And then after 100 years, you started to see the urban legend of Gil Perez developed, so when the later book came out that was the historical text, they had more of this quote-unquote information to fill in, but it was just kind of legend. It's also possible that the story is true, that there was a guard in Manila who teleported to Mexico City And was able to spread the good news that the governor was dead. People have said alien abduction. People have said time. one of them was a time traveler. Got trapped in Mexico City and had to come up with a quick cover story. I think that's kind of ridiculous. Because why would he be wearing... If he was a time traveler from the future, why is he wearing clothes? Oh, oh! They said that maybe he was a time traveler from the future. Who's trying to go to Manila so he's dressed up like one of those dudes but accidentally ended up in Mexico City, which in that case, you're not even really, you shouldn't be able, that's when the janitor gets access to the time machine and you can't even get your countries right. I think it, if it's true, it's something just, I don't want to say mundane, but I don't think it's aliens or anything like that. I think a guy just kind of teleported. I know that doesn't, that's like the opposite of mundane, but I just think that it happened. I don't think that aliens like picked him up and dropped him off in the wrong city, which was one of the explanations I saw. I think maybe he just went, you and appeared somewhere else. Now, that's kind of cool. Actually, no, let me back it up. I think that story is really cool. I think it's one of those stories that makes you think about reality and life. And the weirdness of the world. And that someday you could just be walking on the street. And then you appear somewhere else. I mean, it's frightening though, too. Like it makes you think of like how much we don't know about the world. But it's also intensely frightening. Obviously, the first thing you go to is missing people. Like, people walking through the woods disappear, appearing in other parts of the world. But then you go, how come the hiker walking through the woods in Oregon doesn't magically appear in a swap meet in Tibet? Or a woman backpacking through Sweden doesn't appear in Mongolia? Well, the thing is, is that when you think about it, if you can just be standing there and teleport somewhere else... Gil Perez was incredibly lucky because most of the world is uncivilized and two-thirds of it are underwater. Deep, deep underwater. It's one thing to have a nice, fanciful story that can be kind of backed up on historical documents of a guard who closed his eyes for a brief second and appeared in the middle of a bustling metropolis. It's a completely more horrifying story that you're sitting in your apartment You're at your workplace, you're walking to class, and the next thing you know, you're in a dark jungle, in a foreign land where nobody likes you, or 20,000 leagues under the sea. Because when it comes to teleportation, it's not where you're from, it's where you're going deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.